wanna to talk to you today about something that many of us have felt. My name's Ed, I'm pastor at Community Christian Church, and so I'm gonna be talking primarily from the point of view of somebody who follows Jesus. If you're not there yet, you can look at this and sort of get an inside view of Christianity. And there'll be a number on the screen the whole time we're together. And if at any point you wanna text that number, I'll get it. You send me a question or a comment, or maybe you've just been with us a little while and you just wanna say you're here. Well, we've been looking at this idea of faith for a few weeks. And for a person of faith, there are times when God will urge us or nudge us uh, out of our comfort zone into areas or arenas that we just aren't all that comfortable with. And often it's not that we're unwilling to do what God has asked. Sometimes it feels like we're just not unable. You know what I mean? It's like, God, I'd be happy to do this, but it's just beyond me. This is impossible. I don't know how to do this. I think a regular part of life with Jesus, and by regular, I don't mean daily, but, but regular. For God to accomplish his will in our lives and to build his kingdom, God will come to you and come to me and say, uh, here's an assignment. I, I want you to go and I want you to do this. And our natural tendency is to look at our abilities and our resources and say, he's got the wrong person. I, I'm, I'm willing, I can't. I mean, I hate to say no, but I'm gonna have to decline. It's just beyond me. Sometimes it's, it's something you read in the Bible, sometimes it's something relational, sometimes it's just this internal thing that I, I can't really describe except you just kind of know when God is pushing you outside of your comfort zone. What am I supposed to do? What are we supposed to do as people of faith? We believe that God is exactly who he says he is and that he'll do everything he says he'll do. What do people like that do when God nudges us out of our comfort zone? What, what do we do when God pulls us and begin to embrace and to tackle situations and opportunities and relationships that are just beyond us? Well, that's what I wanna talk about today. Because I guarantee you this, you're either in this, you've been in this, or you're gonna go through this one day as a part of a faithful journey with God. Because God is constantly leading us into situations where our faith, that is, I trust you, God, and his faithfulness intersect. And it's in that intersection that we really know God. It's in that intersection, our faith meets his faithfulness that we discover God for who he is and who he wants to be to us. And as long as we're sort of sitting back where it's comfortable, oftentimes we miss out on God. Maybe somebody misses out on what God would have made us do and we miss out on what he could still do in our lives. Now, this is so common that even when Jesus was physically on the planet and people were trying to follow him, this thing of, do I trust you? And then they would see his faithfulness. I mean, it just happened all the time. I wanna show you my favorite instance from Jesus' history to maybe help you not miss what we often miss in these situations. So this instance is included by two of the writers who tell us about Jesus, Matthew and Mark. And I wanna start with what we see in Matthew because here we can see two famous instances that many people who know the Bible know, but they often don't get connected, but they happen the same day, and I believe they're very connected. And I believe Jesus is calling us, his followers, to do something. He's calling those followers to do something to them that just seem impossible. And when they don't get it the first time, well, he shows them again what they should do when they are given an impossible task by God. So 
Jesus has been teaching all day long and there's this huge crowd. It's almost evening and people are getting hungry. And the disciples, like they're reasonable people, they look around and they think, well, this would be a good time for class to end. Uh, just let them go eat. Here's how Matthew writes this. When it was evening, the disciples came to him. This is a deserted spot, they said. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that we, they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, this next part, I really think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think Jesus has a grin on his face when he said it. He says, they don't need to go away, said Jesus. You give them something to eat. Long pause. I think he says, look, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, okay, we'll give them something to eat. Hello, <laughs> we don't have enough for all these people. Did you look around? So right off, Jesus asked them to do something that goes against what seems reasonable. It's just this impossible task. So they say to Jesus, what I have said to God when I begin to get nudged, I'm gonna add the word, but. <laughs> but all we have here, they say is five loaves of bread and two fish. I mean, of course we wanna feed them, but when we look at our resources, we just can't. We aren't saying no to you, Jesus. We're just saying we can't. It's impossible. And now Jesus has them exactly where he wants them. Bring them here to me. In other words, you bring to me what you have. Bring them here to me, he says. And he told the crowds to sit down on the grass. Then he took the five loaves of bread and the two fish he looked up to heaven, he blessed the loaves, he broke them, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. Everybody eat and ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. There were about 5,000 men who had eaten, besides all the women and children. You, you see what happened? Jesus said, look, I know you didn't have the resources, but give what you have to me. Jesus takes it, hands it back to them after he prays and says, now, just go do what I asked you to do. And they do. And at the end of the process, everybody has enough to eat and everybody's satisfied. And I think the disciples wind up looking around at each other as they're picking up the food and go, what did, what did we, was that something we did? I mean, look at what, look at what he, we, how did that work? I don't know. And that was the point. And while they were trying to figure it out, look what happens. Matthew records, Jesus at once made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the opposite shore while he dismissed the crowds. Here's the question. You ever had a moment like that when something happened, but you didn't know what happened? That's where these guys are. It was cool. I mean, God showed up, but what were they supposed to learn from that? And while it's happening, Jesus gives them something else to do and they leave and I think they're just stunned and they're laughing and they're talking to each other, but they obey what he asked them to do because they know, not because they know why, but because they've seen enough of his goodness and his faithfulness that they just move. Where is it right now in your life that you know something is happening, but you don't really know what's up? Is this the time that you just need to trust in the goodness of God and just obey? Maybe you could text me about that right now. What might you be missing?
mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire In darkest nights You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness So, so good With every breath 
so this great thing happens, and while they're still trying to figure out, Jesus is going to test them and see if they really learned the lesson. Now, what they didn't know is that he had just given them a second impossible task when he sent them across the lake to the other side. They didn't know that because they had crossed this lake many times. I mean, they had experienced fishermen with them who were well-versed in getting the boat across the lake. And this command felt like, oh, we can do that while we're laughing and talking about what just happened. It's about six, maybe eight mile trip across the lake, depending on where you start. And some of them start rowing, but as they're rowing, the wind begins to blow. But don't think about a storm, it's not a storm. They aren't afraid for their lives. It's just that the current is now against them. And what had just gonna be a three hour tour across the lake, the wind starts to blow and they're rowing and the sun sets and they're in pitch black now rowing with blisters on their hands and they just can't get across the lake. Now, when they leave in the boat, Jesus gets the crowd to go away and he goes up to pray. These guys are on the lake, giving it their very best. They knew they could do it. They're just not getting it done. And then a, a weird thing happens. Matthew says, at the very dead of night, he came towards them, Jesus, walking on the water. Now, Mark, the other writer, includes one of my favorite parts in this incident. He says, he intended to go past them. There's something in the way that he was walking that they can tell, hey, hey he ain't stopping. And man, he's making a really good time. We can't even get there. And that's his point. Will they get it or will they not? So they're rolling. We've been out here struggling and struggling and Jesus is walking on water. That's odd. Not only is he walking, he's better, making better time than we are. And he's gonna just walk past us. Like I told you, I, I'd see you on the other side, Jesus said. What's taking you guys so long? Now, they think it's not him. They think it's a ghost. And these, these are not cowards. These are brave men and they're used to this sea, but this, this had been a weird day, and now they're afraid. You know why? Because they aren't expecting Jesus. Apparently, Jesus is the furthest thing from their mind. I mean, they can do this boat thing, but Jesus at once spoke to them. Cheer up, he said. It's me. Don't be frightened. And at that moment, I mean, at the moment when he heard Jesus' voice, one of the guys in the boat puts everything together that happened to that day. It all comes clear to him. He's the only one who gets it. He thinks to himself, wait a minute. He said to us, feed the folks. We said, we can't feed the folks. We don't have enough. He said, give it to me here. We, we give it to him. He prays. He gives it back to us. Then we do what he asked us to do, even though it still looked odd. And a miracle happened. We didn't do the miracle. But somehow, him having our resources, and we do what we know how to do, and all the people get fed, and it comes together for him. And then he says, get in the boat, roll across the water. And of course, he knows we aren't gonna be able to do it, but in a moment, it all hits Peter like a bolt of lightning. And out of the blue, he looks out at Jesus, who's standing on the water, and he says, hey, if it's really you, Master, give me the word to come to you on the water. Hey, Jesus, ask me to do another impossible thing. Jesus says, hey, come on. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Peter doesn't jump in the water and then say, Jesus, save me. He said, if that's you, I want you to ask me to do what's impossible because I think I see the point of this whole day. Now, often when people read this story, they're thinking, what's, what's the point of this? No one gets fed, no one gets healed. Why, why this little walk out on the water story? What's the point of this? 
Well, well what this is, uh, is about, and I'm gonna show you this in a moment in Mark's writing about this account. Jesus is teaching them a, a principle. And in the boat, Peter finally gets it. And, and the principle is this. When God calls you to do something, uh, when God makes it known to you, once you know it's God, you can rest assured that you'll be provided with the resources of God and the power of God. Because the will of God always is accomplished with the resources of God. And the call of God is always accompanied by the power of God. And when God asks us to do something unusual, I mean, when God asks us to do something outside the box, beyond our ability, the kind of thing where we say, I'm willing, I'm, I just, I'm not able. You got the wrong person. I'm not rebelling. I just can't do what you're asking me to do. What we have to remember, what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand, what Peter finally puts together in the middle of the night in the boat is God's call in my life and your life. When God begins to nudge us outside our comfort zone, that along with the call of God, God always provides the resources of God. And God always accomplishes the power, we, gives us the power we need to accomplish what he's called us to do. So Jesus calls. What's Peter do? Well, Peter does what he knows to do. He did exactly what he knew to do. Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. Now here's the question. What did Peter know about walking on water? Nothing. Do you know what Peter knew how to do? He knew how to get out of the boat and he knew how to walk. So he stood up and he swung his legs over the side of the boat and he began to walk. And he discovered in that moment the same thing that happened back with the feeding of the multitude. It's what Jesus had always been bringing to us as people of great faith. That as God calls us to do something, he waits for us to do what we know how to do and then God does what only God can do. With the call of God comes the resources of God. With the will of God comes the power to do what he's called us to do. Now, the problem, the problem is, is that the older we get, the more successful we get, the more we have, the more stability we have, we don't like to get out of the boat. Hey, hey Jesus, just, just come on, get in the boat with me. I mean, Jesus, I just got the boat the way I like it. Jesus, come on, just get in the boat. I, I know the boat, I don't know water. But every once in a while, every once in a while in my life and in your life, your Father in heaven is gonna to say to you, hey, we're gonna do something different now. I'm gonna take you relationally where you've never been. I'm gonna use you in a way you never imagined. I wanna demonstrate my power in your life. So, I need you. Swing your legs over the side of the boat. God, it, it seems impossible, I know. But remember, my call is always accompanied by my resources. Just because you don't have what it takes is not relevant. What's relevant is that I called you. This was my idea. Now come to me, come to me. Where might God be calling you right now? Do you know? Would you text me and let me pray with you about it? Here's what I know. Your faith, when it intersects with God's faithfulness, you will know him in a way that you never imagined knowing him before.
I'm Hank, and it's my wife Shelly, and uh, we are the founders of a nonprofit organization called Coweta Force. We provide addiction recovery support services for individuals and family members that have been impacted by addiction. We started it with one support group meeting a week. It was on Monday nights, and this was at Bridging the Gap. We, had, As she had said, we had had one event, but we were operating on $250 a year. That was our budget, $250 annual budget. We were a group of 10 volunteers that just had a heart for this work. We were people in recovery or interested community members or moms who had lost their kids to overdose. And as we started to progress in the process of supporting people, it just sort of gained momentum. We applied for a grant and we got it. It was $20,000. Now, $20,000 isn't a lot of money to run a business or a company, but coming from a $250 annual budget. We thought we'd hit the lottery. We, I mean, it was amazing. A month after we got the $20,000 grant, we applied for a much larger sum. And it was like a month later, I got an email. We were on our, our first year anniversary trip and I got an email saying, congratulations, your proposal has been accepted. And your contract starts in September and I quit my real job in August of 2018 to start this venture. We didn't have a place. We didn't have anything. Um, and so that's how we started. So when we got the opportunity uh, to receive this huge grant and it was, we were talking about Hank leaving his job and doing this full time, um, I was pretty much like, yes, let's do it. I'd, I didn't have as much fear, probably because it wasn't me making the decision, it was him and it would be on him if it you know, didn't work out. But um, I'd been doing a lot of administrative work for Cowie Divorce just as a volunteer. Community service. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so there was an opportunity where they could hire me um, and I could be an employee. I'd been working in property management for 10 years. It is the only thing I'd done as an adult. I was... Um, very comfortable. I knew how to do my job. I did it really well. Also had 401k health insurance. I had our kids on our health insurance. So it was just very easy. And the thought of putting all of our eggs in one basket, like what if this doesn't work out? That was really scary for me. It felt really uncertain. Um, we've got these kids at home. We have three teenage girls that live at, at our house full time. Sometimes and it feels like six teenage girls. <laughs> It felt easier to stay where I was, but I also felt strongly that there was there was a purpose in me um, joining his team and, and doing this work full time. I just, I felt like that was what God was calling me to do. So regardless of the fear that I had and making such a big change, I don't really like change. We had just gotten married, that was change enough. <laughs> and so we had had a lot of change in that last yeah. year and so just, it was very, very scary. I was afraid of failure. I was afraid of not being, uh, not doing the job well enough. I, I d didn't ever really get an answer on this is definitely the right thing for me to do or not. It was more of just like, this is where I feel like God's leading us and we'll just do it and see what happens. Yeah. And I had a really overwhelming feeling of no matter what happened, if it totally blew up, if both of us suddenly had no income, it was gonna be fine. I mean, I just had a feeling of peace that it would be fine. Yeah. And so when I think about like recovery, it's bigger than the absence of a substance. You know, this is about like 
when I truly surrendered, right? That was the hardest thing I ever did was surrender. But also when I did it, it was the easiest thing. I was like, why did I wait so long to do this? You know, why did I wait so long to give up control? And part of the message that I heard last Sunday is when you give up control, you no longer have to dictate the outcomes. And that couldn't have been, I mean, that was just spot on. And they were, I didn't find fear in that. I found a lot of freedom in that. I no longer had to manage these outcomes and my whole entire recovery has been nothing but miracle after miracle because I surrendered. Every step prepared me for the next step though. Every step it felt like, even like the dark times, because I faced some really pretty dark times in my recovery, but even the dark times and especially the dark times prepared me for like what was next. And even though I didn't know it when I came out of it, I was prepared for what was thrown at me. And every time it was a challenge, but it, in that challenge, it was an opportunity. You know, and so I 100% knew, even if it bombed, on the other side of that was gonna be a dark time and was gonna be an opportunity on the other side of it, just like all the other times before. For me, it taught me that even though change is hard and being comfortable is easy and consistent, and those are the things that I appreciate. I really like spreadsheets and I like things to just line up and look really good on paper. And so those things provided me like a sense of security and that felt good for me. And what I learned by taking a step outside of that and doing something that was not comfortable and very scary and seeing how God has moved in our lives and in our marriage and in our work here has shown me that that is where I need to place my faith and my trust, no matter what I think or what my spreadsheet says, <laughs> that if I can really, really just really trust that no matter what, it, not the outcome, it's not that he's gonna give me this or this is definitely gonna happen or this is gonna be successful, but that he is gonna take care of us and he's gonna work through us in some, some way. And so just to be able to really, really believe that, and I believe that I have more confidence to do that next time because I've seen how well it, he's taken care of us through all of this so far. See, the reason you and I have had periods in our life where we don't really experience the power and presence of God is this principle. Staying in the boat doesn't require the power of God. The power of God is available outside our comfort zone. Almost it's recognized in a way that it's not recognized or even available in our comfort zone. Because the power of God's only present when the power of God's needed and desired. And every once in a while, God will say to us, I want you, I want you to come to me. I want you to get out of the boat. I, I want you to leave what makes you comfortable and what makes everybody else happy. I want you to do the impossible. And, and you can trust me. Once you swing your legs out over the side of the boat and you begin to walk, once you do what you know how to do, I'll do what only I can do. Because the resources of God are always available to the person who responds to the call and the power of God. And I'm telling you, if you're willing to do this, you'll see it happen in your life. So you're like, yeah, because you know what I'm talking about. You're like, hey, I, I wish I was there to tell my story because you know, and, and you think about that relationship that God, God called you out of and the one that he called you to stay in. And some of you think about the first time you were called to serve at the time that you, you felt led to go to a different job the first time you learned to give significantly to kingdom kind of things. You can think back to that time when you 
argued and you looked for reasons not to do the thing that God asked you to do and finally you just trusted God and you're going, I'll never be the same. This is just a part of the Christian life. This, this is a pattern. I'm just telling you, I've seen it so many times. Not, not daily, not weekly, not monthly. That just caused way too much havoc. But God, every once in a while, God's gonna say to us, I want you to trust me. I'm gonna give you an impossible assignment don't respond by what resources you have available, your ability, because the will of God is always accompanied by the resources of God. The call of God is always accompanied by the power of God. Our responsibility is not to be able to see things or how they're going to work out in the end. Our responsibility in those rare occasions is to do what we know how to do and then trust God to do what only God now, the reason I really like this story is not the part that we read so far. It, it's the way it ends. Because the part I second guess myself about, and maybe you do too, is what if, I, what if I do it and it doesn't work out? What if I get halfway into this thing and I do something dumb or wrong? I'm not doubting God. What if I lose my nerve? Well, that's exactly what happens to Peter. Peter gets such a bad rap for this, I think. It's just a very misunderstood exchange between him and Jesus. Look at what happens. Peter gets out of the boat, he walks in the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. Master, he yelled, rescue me. And in that moment, Jesus said, no way, Peter, you're on your own. That'll teach you to trust me. And Peter was buried at sea that day. That's not what it says, but that's what we all are afraid of. What if I mess up? What, what if it doesn't work out? What if people see me fail? I love what's next. Jesus at once reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you little faith, he said. Why'd you doubt? Now, I just want to say here, I, I think we mishear Jesus. I used to read this and think, poor Peter, he's the only one that got out of the courage to get out of the boat. And then Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Whack. Shame on you. I'm thinking about the other 11 cowards in the boat. They're, they're the ones that should have been reprimanded. But the more I've gotten to know Jesus, the more I try to read scripture, understanding who Jesus is, the more I realize that's not the tone here. And not I don't think it is. He said it to Peter the way I'd say it to one of my grandchildren who are trying to learn something, the way you'd say it to your kids. Oh, sweetheart, you were, you were so close. You were so close, you could have made it. You just had a little faith and, and look what you did. Peter, you were so close, look at what you did. Why did you doubt? Peter, there's gonna be a time, I'm gonna give you another impossible task. And one day you'll learn to always factor me into the equation and never take your eyes off me because Peter, you were so close, you were so close. That's the way Jesus responds to us when we get close and we mess up. When we step out of the boat and we turn back and we hang on with both hands, it's what our Father God's gonna say. Trust me, trust me. You may have no idea what's waiting for you. If you just trust me, just trust me. Just a little more faith. Jesus saves Peter, and they get back in the boat. Let, let me show you how Mark ends this same story. He came up to them and got in the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were overwhelmed with astonishment. They hadn't understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. They hadn't made the connection the whole day between 
you don't have what it takes, I'm gonna take what you have, I'm gonna give it back to you, and now go do something impossible. They never saw the connection. Their hearts were just hardened. They looked at themselves. Peter's the only one who got it. He's the only one who said, if you will call me out, then I will do what I know how to do and trust you to do what I don't know how to do. The issue is not my resources or my ability. The issue is God called me. Because the power of God, it's always accompanied by the, by the will of God. And the will of God is always accompanied by the resources and power of God. Our responsibility is simply to put our legs over the side of the boat and walk and to trust and to do what we can do and then God will do what we cannot. In the very early days of this church, at first we didn't even have an office. So we closed in my garage and we made a church office there and I'm telling you, every week it was just survival. I, I just wanted to be able to have church again in seven days. and. We were doing church so vastly different 30 years ago than anybody else in Coweta County. We, we still have different in some ways, but a lot of churches that do what we do, but not, not a long time ago, not when we got started. And people would come and they'd give us a shot and then they'd leave and then they'd talk bad about me and the other leaders and it, it was just really hard. And I'd get so discouraged at times. I took a little piece of paper out and I, I printed these words and I put it in my journal so I could just see it every day. The piece of paper said, Lord, this was not my idea. You asked me to do this. I'm trusting you to get me through it. I can't tell you how many times in the first years of this church I prayed that prayer, Lord, you know I wanted to quit. In spite of what these people are saying about me, this was not my idea. And you have got to get me through this. I'm trusting you to do it. I'm telling you folks, personally, professionally, I finally learned it's just a part of the Christian life and there's nothing more exciting than living this way. And there is nothing more dead and boring than staying in the boat where you're always comfortable and it doesn't matter if God shows up or not because you got everything under control. Today, God's trying to call you into something and you have the privilege of saying to him, God, this is not my idea. My idea to stay where I, is where, where, right where I am, and my, my idea it was to leave all of this. This is not my idea. You got me into this thing. I'm trusting you get me through it. The challenge is, will you say, Lord, my faith is in you, so I'll do what you say, even though I am scared to death. Where is it right now that God's prompting you? While we listen, would you text me about it?
I know He'll see me through like before He is Lord He is Lord I'm not afraid anymore He is Lord He is Lord to follow heart and soul I will go the maker of the promise will finish what he started heart and soul I will go sex with his faithfulness, we gain confidence that he is exactly who he said he was. He, he's the Lord. Followers of Jesus around the world come together to worship Jesus every Sunday and to remember who he is by taking symbols that he set aside for this purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have some of these prepared, uh, would you go get them 
and let's use them together to remember him. And you can use whatever you have, maybe some bread or some juice or a cracker and some water. The symbols don't matter as much as what or who we're remembering. Here's what one follower of Jesus named Paul wrote about this. On the night when the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, it's for you. Do this as a memorial of me. So let's take the bread together. Paul continued, then he, Jesus, did the same with the cup after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this as a memorial to me. Let's drink. Paul concludes, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray right now for everybody that's joining in, that they would sense that you're with them. For some people, they've sensed that for a long time and that you're calling them to do something. Father, I pray that you give them the courage to do what they can do. Thank you for giving us symbols to remind us that you're not only with us in spirit, you are with us everywhere we go. And that you'll do everything you said you would do. Help us to be willing to obey you. Give my friends who are watching in strength and power to do what you're asking them. In Jesus' name I say, pray, amen. Thank you for being a part of this today. We're, we're starting a new conversation next week and I hope you'll be a part of that as well. We'd love to know that you've been here today. Just text the number on screen. Maybe just say hello and I'll get that. I'll respond. Say a prayer or whatever conversation you want to try to start. We're thankful to have you with us. And as you remember, I hope you'll leave remembering this. God's for you. So are we. And no matter what you think about God, he cannot stop thinking about you.